loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Rob Gurr. Rob's a husband, a father, a writer, a mathematician, a scientist, and a teacher. He's been writing for over 20 years and has been a father for over 40. His book, Dear Andrew, is his first literary publication. He's an active member of the Bethesda Writer Center and of the Compassionate Friends, where he's a group facilitator. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Very welcome. I'm happy to have you. And thanks for your book. I, I um, have a particular fondness for memoir when it comes to grief. Uh, it's honestly all I could read when I was grieving my wife. I, I just, even though I'm professionally a therapist, I didn't want anyone to tell me how to do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but I could, but I could just, um, eat up and absorb stories of other people who had done it. Um, and, and your book, of course, is in real time, which I find so compelling. So thank you for that. Could you? Well, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, could you just uh, tell the, of course, we're going to be talking a lot about what happened with your son, Andrew, but could you give people, um, you know, kind of, the story of what happened and when and um, let them in on your experience? Uh, yes, I can. I'll read an excerpt from the, uh, from the book. <clears throat> uh, on May 19, 1988, I watched helplessly as my son, Andrew, was hit by a truck and killed. He was eight years old. And so I wrote. I wrote to him because I had to find a way to stay close, to continue to, to relate to him and to find myself again. And I wrote to share my letters so as not to feel so alone after what I have learned has been the most isolating experience of my life. I would not for the world wish that anyone live where I live and have lived, but I do accept and cherish visitors. Grief and loss are inextricably bound up with fundamental life questions, so no grief is simple. My grief over Andrew's death has been made even more complex by the turmoil of his last years of life and the violence of his death. A part of my process has been the telling of what happened as I've become ready to tell it and to know it myself. At times it has been healing for me to share my letters by reading them aloud. Somehow that helps to mail them and therefore many of the letters were written with that form of oral postage in mind. Perhaps that is the way they are meant to be experienced. I have learned both from my own experience and from that of other bereaved parents that grief is not well understood nor well tolerated in our society. Grief is an inherently isolating state. The sense of loss and dislocation contribute to a general lack of connection with oneself and with the universe as a whole. This letter to you, dear reader, which appears first, was written last. The rest of the letters are to Andrew with love. You know, you, you, you talk in that passage about the intersection of several things. Uh, obviously, the terrible event of of watching your son 
be hit by the truck and die. But also I'm aware that you were at your ex-wife's house when that happened. Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> which, which I, having, having broken up with people before, I can imagine was particularly difficult in some yes. ways. Yes, um, uh, yes, absolutely. I, it, it, it no longer felt like my house. It was a foreign, a foreign place. And, uh, and the whole experience of picking up my son <clears throat> for what they call visitation was a foreign experience too. So, absolutely. Well, also, I'm, I'm aware that, uh, you know, for instance, m- my wife's death was after a very long illness. Uh, it, we saw it coming. She was in a coma for about a week. Uh, and there, my friends and dear ones had created an atmosphere of such deep safety mm. around me and around us. Mm-hmm. And so I was transposing myself into your experience of uh, what I would imagine would have felt like a pretty unsafe. It, it did. It, it, exactly. Um, uh, it, it's funny because somehow after, right after it happened, uh, a lot of people materialized. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I remember crying on the shoulder of a friend. And I remember uh, that uh, that uh, m- my my attempts to connect were not particularly welcome at first. And, um, and, and my daughter, my, who was older came out and, and there was some conflict there about whether she should see Andrew's body or not. And, and, uh, so it was, uh, uh, it was, uh, a, a strife filled kind of experience as well. And so, in fact, you stayed there for a time, and people showed up who were also your people. But, yes. but uh, I I know from working with couples that that uh, separate that there's there's a lot of tension around who belongs to whom, and yes, uh, <laughs> you know, yes, <clears throat> whose friend they, is this anyway? Yes. Fr- yes, and taking sides, and um, sometimes, of course, that does draw all those all those things kind of drop away at a moment like that. But for you, it didn't sound like it did. Well, I think with, with the friend whose shoulder I cried on, I think it did. And, uh, uh, and I, I went into the house, uh, what used to be my house. And, uh, and I cried on the shoulder of my, my former mother-in-law for a while. And, um, and, and she was really very warm, but, but, but after a little while, it just did not feel comfortable. Mm. And, and then, and I once you left, were you surrounded by people? Yes. That loved you? Yes, very much so. I, my friends, uh, uh, who I had made uh, primarily, not entirely, but primarily after uh, the separation, my friends converged on my house. Um, uh, I called, I was in therapy at the time, and I my therapist was one of the first people I called and she got the word out and they came and, uh, and they, uh, very loving, uh, very supportive. Um, uh, one of my, one of my friends from work came and he was with me and he said, uh, I found out later, 
he said, uh, what's wrong with Rob? He, he, he cries, and then after a little while, he stops crying, and then someone new comes in, and he cries again. And, and they took him aside and explained that that was really okay. So I, I didn't have to deal with, with anything at all. Um, and in fact, those same friends then made up a schedule uh, of who was going to be with me 24-7 so that I was never alone, at, at least that, until I was ready to be. Right. That implies to me, Rob, that because it is not always that way, as you're probably aware. I am. Uh, um, it implies there was some kind of knowledge or preparation that people in your life had that I'd, somebody I'd knew something about grief. I think so. I, I don't know how much they knew directly, but, but I, I was friends with a lot of these people because I, uh, I knew them from therapy. They all were, uh, were in therapy almost. And, uh, and so they were working on their feelings. They were already, uh, of the mind that, uh, that whatever feeling you have is okay. And, uh, and they were just tremendously helpful. In fact, I, I frequently run into people who say, well, I can only talk to someone who has lost a child because they're the only ones who understand. And I, I try to explain that what's needed is not the experience, but the empathy. That's, that's interesting what you're saying, because um, obviously, or maybe not obviously, I do think there's something, uh, you know, for instance, I, I run groups for people with cancer. Uh, there is something particular about talking to someone else who's had the experience. Oh, absolutely. And yet... And yet it is also true what you're saying that it's it's that empathy for experience of of any kind you know the ability to listen the ability to care all those things that makes someone helpful at that kind of moment yes i and i agree the the shared experience is tremendously important and and i i did find myself going to grief group uh uh after a few months and um, and there is something about that. And I think what part of what it is, is that empathy takes you a great, uh, a long way, but there's something about the shared experience that makes you feel not so alone. Ah. And, and, and feeling alone with the, uh, I mean, we're all existentially alone, but feeling alone with an experience like that and, and thinking, am I the only one who has these feelings under this circumstance? And that's, that's a block to healing. That's, that's, uh, emotional isolation is terrible. That's, that's interesting. I was at a grief ritual recently and, uh, the leader of the ritual said, um, there are parts of grief that cannot be, um, touched except in community. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, and I think, actually, I think there's another aspect to community because initially when you, when you go to a grief group and you're raw and, and in a great deal of pain, all you can do is share what has happened to you. And, and after a while, you, be able, you begin to be able to listen to what other people are saying and to empathize with them and to know their children, to know their loss and, and to care. 
And I think that after we've lost somebody dear to us, it's a terrible blow to our trust in the mm. universe and our trust in caring. And yes. allowing ourselves to care is critical. And also uh, a, a kind of pathway to meaning. Yes. Uh, because if we can care about another person's experience, it's very meaningful. Yes. And it makes life seem um, painfully beautiful, I guess. Yes, yes. Have and you experienced it that way? Yes, I have. And, uh, and I think um, uh, partly other people's experiences bring their, their past and their, their losses alive. And, uh, and and make them live within all of us, so that uh, it enriches it enriches my life that I know about other people's children, uh, even though they've passed away. Did it ever happen for you that um, because of course uh, you know the the way in which you lost Andrew is particularly. Um, wrenching you know i i don't know a big enough word <laughs> and uh, that doesn't cover it and i can imagine that even in a group of other parents who've lost a child uh there might have been moments where you felt uh, alone with that in a sense yes definitely uh, uh, definitely how did, that's true how did that how did you work with that within a group setting? Because I find that sometimes when people feel isolated, they want to run away. You know, if they're in a group of people but feeling alone, they might want to go be alone. Either be alone physically or, or retreat into themselves, yes. Exactly. So at moments like that, how did you stay? How did you stay, I guess? How did you stay present? Um, I, I guess it was a decision. Um, I, I became aware that, uh, that I was feeling that way, that I was feeling alone and realized that this was going to be a barrier to my participation, to my, to my being in the room. Um, and, uh, uh, and actually I, I think that, uh, while the, the, the violence of my son's death certainly has been hard to share with people. Um, and I often, I often share last uh, in groups because, because I don't want to inhibit other people. People have a tendency to say, oh, mine isn't as bad as that. And, mm. and that's a mistake too. Sure. Um, but I think that, that we all of us have some part of our experience for me, it was the sudden, suddenness and the violence. But I think, um, uh, I think watching uh, someone die of an illness and 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 feel so helpless is 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 an extended trauma. Uh, so I I think we're all prone to this uh, to one extent or another. And I just I would just be aware of how I was feeling, I, and I do find it helps to have some some. Um, uh, something outside of myself, whether it's a candle or whether it's a person who I know knows and we can make eye contact, just something outside of myself so that I know that this feeling is real, that this is, this is who I am and what I 
have experienced. You know, Rob, I'm circling back around to the beginning of our time together today, where you were talking about the fact that you were already in therapy and becoming close with people who, I think what you said, this is a paraphrase, but something like people who thought it was important to feel what they feel. Mm -hmm. And that was actually pretty clear to me in reading the book, that, mm -hmm. that regardless of... Uh, you didn't seem to pass through a stage where you weren't allowed to feel it. Yeah, it was very important to me to to feel it. I hated the, in fact, I hated the sense of isolation from my feelings. Even before Andrew had died, I, I actually used to drink wine, not very much, but I found out that even one glass of wine made me feel distant from how I was feeling. I didn't like that that sensation. So... I was already beginning to do that even before uh, Andrew's death. So you know that's, a, to me, a, a fairly unusual decision to have made uh, out of the blue. I'm sure you didn't make it out of the blue. No. Uh, <laughs> something let you know, I need to have my feelings, you know, I need yeah. to own them, I need to let them live in some sense yeah yeah yes and uh i and i needed to explore them i needed to have them uh available to me and uh and i surrounded myself with people even at work who who would who would uh who, who were all right with that um it's just um anything else is emotionally isolating and, and there was something about the experience and the suddenness of it, I think, that affected us all. And that, and that even people who had been having trouble with experiencing their feelings all the time were able to just let go and let it happen. I want to talk about that a little bit more when we come back, but it's time for our first break right now. So listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America for Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, etc., my email list. Uh, and you can find Rob Gore at DearAndrew.net. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rob Gore about his book, Dear Andrew, which chronicles his grief after the death of his eight-year-old son. And before the break, Rob, we were talking about what I almost want to call a head start you had with grief, (laughs) uh, which was that you were already uh, inviting your feelings. You were already saying... I have feelings, and when I don't know what they are, it goes badly for me. You know, you were already, you had already found an environment in which to come to know your feelings better. Yes. Uh, and I've I've become very interested, mostly because it's my own experience. That's usually how these things come about with long-term loss, the impact of loss long-term. Uh, it, it got especially interesting to me when I lost both of my parents, Mm. uh, when each of them died quite long after my wife died and the way in which I felt I was prepared to face death in a way I wouldn't have been without each previous death. Yes. That there was actually a progression going on. And that also refers to, I don't know if you got... Uh, started exploring your emotions because you were losing your marriage or, you know, what got you to do that? But I'm guessing there was a loss in that, you know, yes, that definitely. you were learning from right along. Can you talk definitely. about that some? Sure. Um, uh, yes, there. W- I realized that uh, uh, in my marriage that um, uh, that I, I was not happy, and uh, and I knew that that it wasn't all somebody else's fault, and that I needed help with my part, and um, and I wasn't sure when I first started therapy. I wasn't sure uh, what I wanted to do about the marriage, and I knew I would have to work that out. But I wanted to take it very seriously, and to uh, uh, and to. Uh, invest myself in 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 figuring out what to do mm. and um and i and i knew that uh, uh that i i i knew i had internal tensions and i didn't quite understand that those were suppressed feelings but that that's what they were and i came to understand that over over a period of time but but you you can't let go of a 17-year marriage without some sense of loss, and I certainly, I certainly felt that. And and I I was also concerned about my relationships with my children, with my yes. my daughter Leah and my son Andrew, 
who I adored, and um, and and so I I was grieving that that change as well. Grieving the loss of the life you had, yes. in a way. Uh-huh. Yes. And I'm I'm guessing, given what I know about experiences like that, uh, you know, there's a way in which it can be. Well, it's differently painful because there's usually some sense of betrayal, regret, you know, all of that that yes. is particularly acute. And so I'm I'm imagining you were in somewhat of a pressure cooker when Andrew died. Yes. Yes, uh the divorce was not a smooth one by any means. And uh there were various trials back and forth and all sorts of arguments and all sorts of problems. And he and I had gotten to a place I'm not sure how much before, at least uh, this was May, it was at least be, uh, by, by his birthday in September, actually this, uh, two days ago was his, would have been his 37th birthday. Mm. And, uh, uh, and we had gotten to a place where, where we had figured things out. We had figured out how to maintain our relationship, how to, how to uh, stay close, even if we didn't see each other every day, and and it became much easier. And um, uh, and one of the aspects of his violent death was that I couldn't see any of those things for a long time. That that the memory of his death overwhelmed everything else for a long time. And listening to you, I'm thinking, what a mercy in a way. You know, there there's. In, in terrible things, there's also what could have been more terrible, you know, uh, um, in the sense that you and he were connected well. Yes. I know some people think, oh, that must be so much more painful. But my experience says the opposite, that when there are problems, deep problems between people, losses, much more grueling. In a sense. Oh, I, I agree, and and I think there's always uh, guilt uh, for real for real or imagined reasons uh, in a loss, and and one of the one of the uh, areas in which I had no guilt at all was that I knew that he knew I loved him, and and he knew the depth of that, and I mm-hmm. never had any I never had any doubt. So, <gasps> yes, I agree. Yeah, I I would like to invite you to share this this excerpt a little later on. I guess maybe a year after his death. Yes. Uh, because you're trying to describe your experience, and we were just talking about letting yourself have your experience. Then describing it is yet another layer, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So let's let's share that. I have felt a change in in me over the last year. I think that it has happened slowly, and I am only now beginning to be aware of it. The reality of your loss has been sinking in, and the pain, while less raw, has gone deep into my soul. Sometimes I think that it is too deep for words, and I'm frustrated at my inability to explain. I listen to myself, and I am dismayed at how little of my internal reality my phrases express. The pain is so general and nonspecific. There is a core of loss and grief that seems to concentrate in the center of my being, 
where the I is located. And every thought, every idea, every perception must pass it by and root to my consciousness. In the process, then, a piece of the sadness, like a weight, is added onto the traveler, and all that I see, all that I know, and all that I feel are a part of the pain and, in turn, partake of the pain. And so there is a heaviness that is a companion to all I am and all I do. And I have learned a lot in the last weeks. I have learned how much personal choice affects our lives. In the past, I have known that we often decide whether or not we will survive, and beyond that, whether or not we will truly live. I remember making the choice to live at Camp Walden three months after your death. But until now, I hadn't realized the extent to which our lives are shaped by all our decisions. Now I have learned that we decide whether or not we will learn and grow from new experiences. I have learned that we decide whether or not we will feel. And now I have learned that we must make these decisions every day, over and over. Once is not enough. For during these weeks, I have had to decide again and again to live to feel, to grow. I now see my mourning process as a struggle between my wanting you to come back and my knowing, nay, my feeling that you won't. I have learned that never to love feels empty, much as to love and lose feels empty. But the former is the emptiness of a dry, unused glass overlaid with the dust of discarded dreams. The latter is the emptiness of a drained mug of thick, sweet nectar, its sides still, still moist with poignant memories, at once the most fragile and the most durable of our possessions. Knowing does not make doing less frightening. I'm in the midst of an amazing and difficult passage. Sometimes I feel rendered to my inmost being with the intensity of feeling. What comes to mind listening to you read that is that grief does not if we allow it, I guess, I have to add that, if we hmm. allow ourselves to grieve, does not stop life. No. Uh, That's right. L- life keeps going. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes we're, we're kind of, you know, running in slow motion trying to catch up with it. But uh, your life did not stop, which is, which is a kind of remarkable fact. Yes. And, it did not, yes. And specifically, uh, I know that in this period of time, you got very deeply connected to someone. And mm. I wondered if you could talk about that, because uh, there's there's all this um, attempt to make rules about grief, <laughs> which... <laughs> which which I find a little comical to be to be truthful, but um, you know, uh, it's not a good time to make decisions. You know, wait a year before you do anything important. You know, and yet that's that so flies in the face of this kind of uh, uh, intensity of life that you were just talking about in that passage. I I wonder how you grappled with all that. Well, at first it was very difficult because one of the things, one of the most intense things is when you feel uh, what people might call opposite feelings at the same time. And so joy and sadness at the same time or uh, laughing while you're crying is very, it's very intense to have such deep feeling like that, that you are on uh, sort of on all, firing all cylinders, so to speak. 
I, I don't think of, of feelings as opposites of each other. So, But having two or more feelings like that that are seemingly opposite is, is extremely intense. And, and loving someone while feeling deep grief for someone else is one of those, one of those seemingly seeming opposite uh, feelings. Uh, but, um, but at, uh, Camp Walden three months after, well, my current wife, Linda and I were in group together, another rule. You're not supposed to date somebody in group. And, <laughs> and we, uh-huh. and one of the things that she said to me after, um, after Andrew died, uh, and, and I missed, I missed a group, uh, and, and apparently in my absence, they talked about what it took for me to miss a group because I, I committed to going and I went to everyone and, um, and she admitted that she was attracted to me and, uh, and I breathed a sigh of relief because I had been attracted to her, but I, I wanted her to share, even though it didn't seem very timely because I didn't want to feel isolated. And, um, and so, uh, we, after the group, we got together and we talked and said, well, what are we going to do about this? And we decided we wouldn't do anything because we were in group together. Mm. And then we went to Walden at the same time. It was her first Walden and my third, I think. And, uh, we went to this camp, this beautiful camp and, uh, and we finished falling in love. <laughs> we, we you admitted it in other words. Huh? That's right. <laughs> That's right. I remember saying to my friend Dale, I think I said I think I could fall in love with uh, with Linda, and he laughed and said, "It's too late for that. <laughs> you, you already did." Um, and uh, and I think what happened is that we committed to sharing what we felt, whatever it was, and that that uh, truth, that deep truth between us, drew us closer together. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of Walden, we said, well, we have to, we have to decide what, you know, are we going to be together or not? And we decided that we, we would. And, um, and, and, and it was wonderful. And, uh, uh, and she is a, a, a wonderful, she's a, a lovely person, a wonderful person. And, and also very open to, to feelings of all kinds and, and, and it's important to her, as it is to me, to tell the truth, to be ourselves and to tell the truth. I, um, so, um, so it was, a it was a very intense Walden experience because I had some of the lowest lows in terms of grief. I would invest in doing something and then break down sobbing immediately afterwards and, uh, and then invest in doing something again and be, uh, and, and, and enjoy is not the right word, but to, but to, uh, embrace, uh, whatever activity I was doing mm. and, and it was uh, transformative. I, I went for the first time to the, to a particular kind of spiritual ga- gathering, uh, a little further into it. I guess my wife died in October and I went in June or July Mm. But I but I do really resonate with what you're saying. There's uh, to be in a in an environment that invites your full experience. Mm. 
Yes. Uh, for me, that felt like a kind of signpost of where I was going. Uh-huh. There, there was so much more difficulty navigating everyday life and being there. Mm-hmm. But when I was able to just fully be in it, uh, there was a lot of beauty in it. Y- yes, yes. I mean, you're you're in a situation like that. You don't have to do any of the ordinary things. You don't have to worry about making food. You don't have to be transported anywhere by car or some other way. It's just uh, so you can just be. Yes, to a degree. This was a big working environment, but it's not like keeping your house up or something. Exactly. <laughs> and I went with my children, which had its challenges, mm. uh, navigating their feelings and mine. But still, that's all I was doing. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I do, I do um, recognize my experience in what you're talking about and that there's a clarity in that about what you are feeling. Yes. That I imagine uh, made it more possible to kind of come out out of the closet with your feelings for for Linda and and hers for you. Yes, yes. And 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 it never it never occurred to me that this was going to supplant any of the grief. The the grief was part of me. It's part of what I was it was part of my life at that time. And so I had to give full expression to that as well. Well, you know, I uh, I'm thinking about this thing I said to a therapist before my wife died, which is that I wouldn't marry again unless I could die with the person. Mm. Uh, that's like a litmus test for for someone being able to be present. Mm-hmm. And and uh, her being able to be present with your grief may be the same kind of of um, trust builder. Yes. Yes. Let's come and, back to that after the break. Okay. It's time for a second break already. And listeners, you know, you can go to my Good Grief page page at Voice America. You can also go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, and you can find Rob Gore at dearandrew.net. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Rob Gore. His book, Dear Andrew, is a memoir in the form of letters to the son he lost to a terrible accident at age eight. And before the break, Rob, we were we were kind of talking about uh, clarity and open and open space and being able to tell if someone is trustworthy by how they respond to our to our deepest feelings, our deepest experience. Grief being, of course, the biggie. <laughs> Yeah. In a way, <laughs> you know, deep, deep loss being yeah. um, being one of those. And uh, I would somehow anticipate that that speeded your relationship in some regard. And also, I was also thinking about the way in which this happened for me while my wife was still alive, when I was dealing with the fact that she would die. Mm. Um, I... I used to be an extremely anxious person and hmm. it went away. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I just, uh, the little things I used to, you know, worry myself about just seem completely irrelevant. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and okay, I have an anxious moment here and there, but I never believe it anymore. Even, you know, 21 years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were saying during the break that you had kind of a similar uh, end to something that had been a struggle. Could you talk about that a little yes, bit? Yes. Well, all my life, uh, I was a nail biter. Uh, I never had any fingernails at all. Uh, if I saw a dime on the sidewalk, I'd, I'd have to leave it. I couldn't pick it up. And, um, uh, and I tried to stop many, many times and just could not do it. And uh, somewhere... Around the last letter, uh, around 2009, I realized that I had these things growing on the ends of my fingers, and I'd have to do something about it. And they were fingernails, and I, I had just—I <laughs> love the way you express that. <laughs> oh, fingernails! What are they? <laughs> and, and what do you do about them? I had no idea. Oh. So uh, it still sometimes surprises me. So. Um, uh, and I have never uh, gone back since. And uh, and I, I think it's I think it's it's at being at peace with whatever my feelings are. It's it's not. I think that I th- I think that peace, people often talk about peace as an absence of feeling, and and it isn't. I don't think peace is an absence. Uh, uh, I I think it's a it's more of a presence and it's it's a balance and and an acceptance of wherever you are. The other thing that comes to my mind is just that uh, at that time in my life, I learned my own capacity uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, we lived through her illness for not almost nine years. I lived through her loss, my, my loss of her, and parenting at the same time. And I sort of had the feeling there's nothing bigger that can really come along. 
I, I, there is an aspect of that. I agree um, that uh, that I have dealt with something that I can't imagine having anything worse happen. Uh, I, I mean, a loss of another child, but it would be it would be in some sense the same, different because it would be a different child, but but it would be the same intensity, and I have the capacity to to handle that and and deal with it. I wish there was a way, you know, for my clients, for lots of people, to know that without the test. I know. <laughs> but I'm not sure how that's possible. I know. Um, I, I, and um, and I, I, I think, uh, and I, I don't know how to, how to explain it. Um, I, I likened it a little bit to trying to explain the importance of electricity to somebody who has, has never experienced any modern, uh, any modern uh, conveniences or anything at all, has never seen a car, has never seen a light bulb. How, how do you explain, you know, about electricity? Yeah. And yet at the same time, um, since I, you know, saw the train hurtling towards me, um, I was looking at people who had already experienced what I knew I was going to. Mm -hmm. I had some really close friends who also had ill partners who happened to die before she did. And that I could get a sense, one, that I was going to survive because they were surviving. Mm -hmm. But also I got a sense of how. Uh-huh. And, and in a way, it caused me to conclude just what you're talking about. Uh, I, I get to feel everything I feel. Mm -hmm. I get my own support. I get to do whatever I can to love myself through that. Mm -hmm. And that came from watching other people that were doing it, even though I wasn't yet. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you can learn, yes. but, you, but you can't know entirely, maybe. No, no. Well, I have a friend who says that smart people can learn too. It just takes longer. So, <laughs> uh -huh. um, um, I, unfortunately, I well, for, fortunately or unfortunately, I had no no role models. So, right. um, um, so I was well with the help of my therapist. I was uh, so not entirely on my own, but um, uh, and my therapist was fabulous in dealing with uh, with grief. So, um, and and accepted every feeling that I brought in. So I had a model for it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, e even as I was going through it. Um. And that, I, you know, I have to uh, admit for my profession that that is not always the case. Right. I, so I, you're, you were fortunate in that. I was. Um, uh, I, uh, um, Roz was a wonderful, wonderful therapist. Every therapist I've had has been, has been wonderful. And, um, but she was my, she was the first and the primary one. And, um, and she was, uh, she was, uh, uh, a role model as well as a, uh, as a guide in many respects. Mm. Um, so, uh, 
I, and I just I just got a tremendous amount out of our relationship. In fact, the very first session ended with her saying I was trying to decide whether or not I should get a divorce. And she said, uh, whatever you decide, I'm sure it will be the right thing. And nobody had ever expressed that level of confidence in me. Mm. So it just sort of set things up. And we can see how valuable that kind of message is in grief. Yes. Because the biggest trouble people get in is not trusting it. Yes. And thinking somehow they should be doing it differently. Yes. So I can imagine that really had a profound effect. Absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit before before uh, the end of our time to um, life now. And, and uh, obviously this last passage of the book is not now it's some time ago but I wonder if you'd share that and then we can kind of go from there to how how loss how grief how the own your your own evolution and the evolution of your relationship with Andrew shows itself in your life today okay share that last uh, writing from the book sure I know that relationships evolve over time, and ours has been no exception. Though I always imagine you to be an eight-year-old boy, even in my dreams, I speak to you and write to you now as an adult. When did the change happen? Slowly, I imagine. I know that over time, pain evolves into sorrow, and sorrow, in turn, increases the capacity for joy. I know that I have much to cherish in my life, yet I know that every hello may be the last, and that every goodbye is as the first. All these years I have sought truth, hoping it would bring me peace, and I have sought peace, hoping it would help me to deal with the truth. Yet I have been looking in all the wrong places, and while I was looking outside myself, I was unconsciously finding both within. For the truth is well concealed in the center of all being that is in each of us. It camouflages itself by hiding in the open, where few would think to look. But I, well, I am one of the lucky ones. I have discovered it at last. It is a glimpse of play out an open window, a knowing smile at bedtime, a sleepy head resting on a shoulder, a sigh of contentment, a cheerful wave hello. It is a moment of warmth, a secret shared breathlessly, a casual glance that says nothing in particular, but says all. It is a quick impression, a flash of pride, a stolen hug, a silent tear. It is a thousand, thousand such moments, each of them a heartbeat, all of them a lifetime. It is what we were to each other. It is what we are to each other. It is all that happened. It is all that didn't. And now, well, I have struggled and despaired and I have survived. I have risen and fallen and risen again. I'm changed forever since that afternoon in May and that's okay with me. I, I have held on long enough to be able to let go and I have let go enough to find something real to hold on to. And Andrew, this too I know. I'm all right now. Love always, Dad. Andrew so feels so present to me right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> and and I know from reading the book, you you had another child. Yes. 
and and of course I imagine that to be part of your present. Yes, uh, definitely. And, and and yes. Go I, go right ahead. You were yeah, about to say I, something. And and deciding to have Hannah was was a major uh, step, uh, partly to be willing to be that vulnerable again, and partly to know for sure that I wouldn't be having her as a replacement. Um, and when I knew that, then then we and I didn't have much time to decide because we were in our forties when we got married. So, uh -huh. uh, um, uh, but knowing that uh, was tremendously helpful. Uh, and and it's been an absolute joy to have Hannah as it was to have Leah and Andrew. And uh, but this time I was much more keenly aware of the possibility of loss and of allowing her to the difficult part of the difficulty was allowing her to experience the world and to respect it without my communicating my fear and uh uh and and i think i must have done it pretty well because she does things that scare me so <laughs> <laughs> how old is she now she is uh she is about to be 26 uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> I, my youngest is 23, so <laughs> I still get scared now and then. <laughs> yes, indeed. The way she drives in L.A. where she lives. Ah. Uh, well, and Hannah has taken up skiing, so. Uh. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? To, yeah. to live with the awareness of impermanence. Yes. And potential loss. Uh, both <laughs> frightens at times, but it also does make things keener. Yes. Uh, yes. In some beautiful way as well. Well, it, and, and it was also very important to me that I find work that was really meaningful to me. And, and by meaningful, it has to be, it had to be helpful, beneficial to, to, uh, to uh, humankind. And, um, and I was I was fortunate enough to find a job at the National Institutes of Health, where I have written a program that that uh, is used for a number of things. Uh, uh, transplants uh, are among them, and um, and uh, uh, finding bad guys or convicting bad guys is is another, and uh, tissue cell line val validation. So a variety of very important things, and um, and it's very gratifying. To do that. that is that is a beautiful place to leave it for today, and uh, I've really enjoyed our our talk together. As have I. And I hope people will look for you, Rob, at uh, dearandrew.net. There's a link to the book, and you can get in touch with Rob if you'd like. Next week, join me when I talk with Allison Gilbert. Allison is, is the author of Past and Present, Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive, a wonderful little book of ideas about how to continue to relate to those we've lost and do art around uh, uh, memory and, and um, a kind of creative expression of those relationships. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.